In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. Ben Grant joined as always by JB as we break down the East Final coming up this Sunday, 1230, between the much-hated Hamilton Tiger Cats and your Toronto Argonauts. We've got news and notes, we've got injury updates, we've got OCDC, one thing, and the score prediction, of course, all coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. JB, let's start out with news and notes. East Division All-Stars came out this week and not a surprise to see seven Toronto Argonauts there and they're guys that we've been talking about all year. McLeod Bethel-Thompson at quarterback, Curly Gittins Jr. wide receiver, Peter Nicastro center, Sean Oakman defensive line, Chris Edwards at linebacker, Shaq Richardson at halfback and Boris Beattie as the East kicker. JB, the only thing that frustrated me here is that Hamilton somehow ends up with 10 All-Stars to Toronto's seven. That just seemed a little weird to me that the East champs uh, weren't uh, weren't getting a little bit more recognition. Uh, well, Toronto's had such an odd year this year. You know, we, we don't have a lot of stars. We have we have good players and players that have played well in, in specific games, but you know, we, I, I could see why other teams, you know, why Hamilton flashes more because, you know, they have more specific guys. But I think that plays to our favor. I think it makes it hard to to deal with the Argos when they play well because there isn't somebody you can just shut down. They are just a very good team. Yeah, and that's that's it. There are no real holes in the Argos lineup and it is sort of a by committee approach to this and not only that the number of injuries the Argos have faced kind of eliminated a bunch of guys that would usually be in that conversation you know had had Eric Rogers been healthy all season maybe he's on there even as it is it's kind of amazing to think about McLeod Bethel Thompson being the East quarterback uh, considering he wasn't really even the starter uh, he only ended up I guess starting nine games but coming into the season that that you know, that would have been that would have been a real long shot uh, wager. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a weird mix of all stars all over the East. Actually, you look up and down that that East Division All Stars lineup. It's it's a strange unit this year. But yeah, I'm happy. Most Argos that that they've had as as All Stars since that uh, 2017 season. So it's it's all good stuff. And then to add to the accolades. Boris Beattie named a CFL top performer for the month of November. And the amazing thing about that, too, is, is only two games that he played. So he's eight for eight uh, in field goals in the month of November. And that's enough to do it three, I think, over 50 yards in that eight. And this is now 14 in a row. So I think there's something tied to that, too. Like he hasn't missed a field goal going back to like early October, which is, is incredible. So I feel like that kind of got tied into the uh, Boris Beattie month of November package. But yeah, amazing stuff uh, uh, coming out of the uh, awards for this week. We've also got two uh, big ones coming up potentially. So Coach Dinwiddie has been uh, nominated as a Coach of the Year finalist. He's going to go up against uh, Michael Shea for the Blue Bombers. Um, nobody, I don't think, deserves it this season more than Coach Dinwiddie. I love Coach O'Shea, and I actually think Coach O'Shea is going to win it. However, I think Coach Dinwiddie deserves this. You look at what he had to put together, the team he was turning around, the fact that he's not only a first-year head coach, but he's got 
an entire roster of players who have never played for the Toronto Argonauts before, or at least didn't in 2019. And the number of injuries you add to that, where three quarters of your opening day starters are gone, and he still ends up uh, with the best record in the East, and here he is in the East Final. To me, it's an easy coach of the year win. I just, I don't think he's going to do it because... Coach O'Shea has never won before. And I feel like this is one of those things where they're going to be like, well, we got to give it to O'Shea. He won the Great Cup last time. He's on his way back there again, maybe. So do you think that there's any any chance uh, RD wins this one? <laughs> uh, no, I, I. but I think being nominated, I know like being nominated is, is, is an honor. Uh, I think in this case it is. I think him being nominated uh, recognizes what he pulled off as a first-year coach. Um, with with the team that was terrible before he came in, with all these disparate players coming in, with issues in terms of the coaching staff and having to bring guys on halfway through the season, uh, you know, I think that it it acknowledges what he did. I think he should definitely feel proud about that, and I think that's a great acknowledgement. But it, it probably does go to O'Shea because he is due. And he is a great coach, and he has turned Winnipeg into uh, a juggernaut. And, you know, I think that he is deserving of, of coach of the year. Um, but I think being nominated for Dinwiddie is fantastic. You know, I think he, he really uh, impressed me this year, and he's the real deal. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for him. Yeah, agreed. I have 100% faith in him going forward. And it goes, it's hand in hand with management. It's not all Coach Dinwiddie, but I love the stuff that he's done on the field. And I know we've talked about some of the mistakes throughout the year, but those are rookie head coach mistakes that everyone's going to make. He's gotten through them while finishing first in the East. So, you know, that's that says something. So, I, you know, I, I couldn't be happier for him to be nominated. I really hope he wins it. I just, I, I don't see that happening. The other one, I, I'm not sure we're going to win either. So Peter Nicastro was nominated um, as the uh, Rookie of the Year finalist, and he's going to be up against Jordan Williams, the linebacker from BC. One cool thing about this is that this is only the second time in CFL history where two Canadians are the in the are the two finalists for the Rookie of the Year award. So I think that in itself is really cool. The reason I think Nicastro probably doesn't win this. One, uh, he's missed a lot of games in the, you know, the, down the stretch of the season. He's he's been out uh, now since since uh, I guess early to mid October, and he doesn't have stats because the CFL doesn't really record much in the way of individual offensive line stats. And so he's going up against Jordan Williams, a linebacker who's like second in the league in in total tackles, and you know he's got sacks and interceptions, and it's just so much easier to quantify whereas with Toronto the voters are yeah they're looking at film and yes sure they've they've seen games but I think for most voters it's much more difficult a task for them and I think they're going to end up going with Jordan Williams yeah I now I didn't realize that uh, you could be uh, a former professional football player and be nominated for rookie of the year so if that's you're not a, in the CFL yeah yeah that's on me I just assumed that playing professional uh, ruled you out but you know, certainly like Sean Oakman, um, I think would have also been a fantastic nominee from the Argos. I thought he played fantastic uh, all season, especially especially at the beginning where, you know, there wasn't a lot of help on that line and he was kind of holding it down. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think the old line, I think for an old lineman to win, you're going to need to be 
dominant in an aspect, you know, and I don't think he's dominant enough in the run game, which is kind of the one thing that O'Lyman can kind of get recognized for because you, you can see it in clips, you know, when, when you dominate in the run game. And I, I don't think he has that enough to, to beat uh, um, a position player. Yeah, I know what you're saying with his run game stuff, because I actually, I really like him as a run blocker, but yeah. he doesn't have run blocking highlights the way that some other guys have. No, and he's, I think he's it's, it's a bit more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's exactly. not dominant. No, he, you know, he's not, he's not, you know, carrying guys downfield 10 yards. He wins his matchups and he's great at getting to backers. And yeah, I do like his run blocking, but yeah, there's no, you make a highlight video of, of Peter Castro's season. There's going to be some really nice technical play. Uh, he's doing his job uh, and, and that's great, but it's not the kind of thing that is going to uh, wow voters the way the interceptions, sacks and, and big tackles are going to. So it's unfortunate. It's just, it's one of the, this one of the problems with that position as, as the, the offensive line is sort of the least sexy position in, in football. And yet, uh, arguably the most important, but it's it's because it doesn't have the the same draw that every other position has. It doesn't have the highlights, doesn't have the celebrations. It's a lot more difficult for, especially for for people that haven't been around the game a lot to really uh, evaluate. And so, yeah, I I'm hoping for him, but I don't see that one happening either. So uh, we'll see. The last award I want to uh, address is another really important one, and one that doesn't probably get talked about enough. So Jamal Campbell was Toronto's nominee for the uh, Jake Goddard Veteran Award. And the Veterans Award is for a Canadian player who uh, demonstrates attributes of Canada's veterans. So we're talking about strength, perseverance, courage, comradeship, and also contributions to Canadian communities. And that's an area where Jamal Campbell really excelled. He's great at the other stuff too. You see him at practice being a leader, you know, even, even, you know, now that he's been injured and, and is likely out for the, the season, he's still, you know, doing what he can to contribute. He's still helping the younger guys along. There's so many young guys in this team, so many first year guys, and he's always out there and he's been out there since the beginning of training camp helping anyone he could with their play. And so you add that to everything he did in the community. And, you know, even going back to, to last year where he was leading an initiative to help uh, Toronto's homeless population. Um, he's, he's always involved in community work. So he's Toronto's nominee. Uh, I, I, I don't think you can, it's, it's tough to say you couldn't pick a, a better guy because this group of Argos and generally CFL players, they're so good at this extra stuff. They're so good with charities, with getting in the community, with helping where they can. And so it's really not fair to say, yeah, Jamal Campbell's really the, the only choice. He's a great choice. Um, there are a lot of Argos that do wonderful things in the communities, but I think Jamal Campbell really answers the brief when you talk about all these different attributes. So yeah, hopefully he can he can win that award. That would be a tremendous honor. Uh, Jake Kadar was, I believe, was a Toronto Argonaut. I know he definitely... Um, Definitely played in the league, and, and I think he was a great cup winner as well. But he's most known as being the, the longest-serving CFL commissioner and was also a World War II veteran. So that's, uh, that's where the award comes from. JB, let's get into uh, some of the things for this coming Sunday. So first of all, uh, Mayor John Tory has announced that this Sunday is going to be Toronto Argonauts Day. 
Uh, there was a flag raising ceremony that uh, occurred this week, which is pretty awesome to see. See the Toronto Argonaut flag flying outside City Hall. And the, the day, of course, is, is going to be celebrated. You had Pinball down there for the ceremony. Uh, he was on just about every TV station, which, of course, is helpful, especially when we're talking about trying to fill BMO. And that initiative is going pretty well. We'll give you an update on that in a moment. But I know it's just, uh, you know, I know it's maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't mean anything technically, but I like the Toronto Argos Day. I enjoyed the flag raising ceremony. I, I like that kind of stuff. I know that maybe that's not as much your your bag. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think it's fine. Uh, looks like that uh, there's good turnout. You know, they're opening up uh, the the upper deck, so that's a great sign that that people are are, are into the game. So uh, you know, I think it, it. I mean, I think that is good that at least they weren't ignored by City Hall. So yeah, I mean, I think that's all good. There's been a lot of Argos coverage this week from. Uh, I guess networks that don't typically have any Argos coverage. Not all of it has been good, but most of it has. And there's a lot more awareness than there has been all year. And I think that has helped lead to ticket sales. And like you're saying, they've had to open up the, basically they've sold out the entire west side, the end zone, and the front section of the east side. And so they've opened up the east deck now, the front sections of the east deck for for ticket sales. It's going to be a really nice crowd. And this is, I, I hate the narrative that, these are all Ticats fans coming in. It just simply isn't true. This was said the last time the Argos and Ticats played a few weeks ago. Um, and I think it was November 23rd, that game. And really, the, the numbers were not even a thousand people different from the game against uh, BC. You know, the, these aren't these aren't making uh, a dent in, in, in the attendance numbers this way. This, this sort of idea that Hamilton is filling the stadium. Yes, there are people that come uh, from Hamilton to watch. Certainly, there are a lot of Ticats fans in there compared to numbers of Lions fans in there. But I don't, I don't think they even have more than Saskatchewan has when, when the, the, the Rough Riders visit BMO Field. So to, to think that these are thousands of Hamilton Ticats fans uh, coming down the QEW just simply isn't true. Let's get to our injury report. So Good news on the injury front. Uh, a lot of guys coming back. Now, some of this is misleading because there were a lot of healthy scratches in that last game against Edmonton because basically everybody was resting. But essentially, everybody is back who was on the one game. Uh, I want to talk about some guys that have not been activated off the six game yet and also some guys who did not practice today. So guys that didn't practice today, Matt Boateng, Fabian Foote, Josh Haggerty, Asnel Robo and uh, Trevon Tate. Uh, Tate's an interesting one because he is expected to start at right tackle. And so we got to keep an eye on that a little bit. Um, Options you have if he can't go, and I I do expect him to be able to go, but if for some reason he can't, I would love there to be a situation where they could move Shane Richards over to right tackle. He's been playing left guard since Nicastro went down and Philip Blake switched over to center. But Richards is a really good right tackle. And the only reason he's not playing right tackle is that Jamal Campbell uh, is a more experienced and probably slightly better right tackle. The thing is, it unfortunately coincided with Nicastro's injury, so he's been needed at that guard spot. So I'm hoping that it's a situation where Jonathan Zamora has shown enough to be able to play at center, and then Philip Blake can play at, at left guard, and then you can have Richards at right tackle if Tate can't go. But 
if you know, otherwise, I, I'm not sure exactly what the answer is going to be. So fingers crossed on Trevon Tate uh, for for this week's game. And in terms of the guys that are not coming off the sixth game, um, not a lot of surprises in there. But the one uh, really positive sign is that Dexter McCoy Sr. has been activated from that six game injury list. So if they're activating him, the expectation, I guess, is that he will play. And that's going to be a huge boost to this defense because it was just different with him not out there, JB. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think adding him to the, you know, adding him back into the linebacker mix is is really going to, um, it's really important because I think covering the, the running back out of the backfield is going to be a thing I'm going to talk about a lot. And, uh, you know, I think that's something where he can really, really add and i think that's probably the only name we're going to see activated off that list still holding out hope for a couple of guys but most of these guys have been on there for the majority of the season and at least the majority of the second half of the season uh and aren't expected back but yeah that's just to see dexter mccoyle there is is fantastic so yeah that's that's really positive news all right let's talk about the game itself jb hamilton versus toronto the fifth meeting of the season <laughs> Toronto lost the first one, 32-19 in Hamilton. That was an ugly one, and it's been win-win-win since then. 17-16 in Toronto, that um, the missed extra point that went off the upright. The Boris Beatty last play of the game field goal win in Hamilton on Thanksgiving Monday, 24-23. And then the dominant performance at BMO, 31-12, was the last one in November. And that's, I think, fresh in everybody's mind. Uh, what do you think about playing a team for the fifth time? Like, is this good? Is this bad? I, I can't even decide. Uh, I I think it moves beyond good and bad. You know, I think that, <laughs> you know, we're outside that realm where, you know, you play a team three times, maybe it's a problem. But you play a team five times, I think you've just moved into to a new category where I, I, I honestly, I, I don't think it's, it's advantageous. I don't think it's, I think you kind of like, circle round to where it doesn't matter again <laughs> i think it's it's so unique uh it just yeah it's not something that that we're used to having to think about i've certainly never coached against a team five times in a season um it's to, to play a team twice i think is hard uh and so yeah five times it's just you're, you're probably right it's not you know it's to a point where I think the biggest advantage maybe coming out of this is the fact that the Argos haven't had to play a real game in what will have been almost a month. I think that's actually huge for them. Now, there is the danger of there being rust. I know the rust versus rest argument uh, is always made at this time of year. I love the fact that Toronto has not had to put down anything serious on the field in a month. To me, it means that Hamilton really can have no confidence in exactly what they're going to see. Because they didn't show anything in that Edmonton game, then it, they've had essentially back-to-back buys because that Edmonton game was on a Tuesday. So all the time since then, you could be putting whatever you want in. You could have been putting anything you want in since the beginning of November, really, when things started to, to clear up for the Argonauts and it looked like they were going to run away with the East. I, I think this is a huge advantage for Toronto because Hamilton has not had that same luxury. They had to put their cards on the table last week because if they'd lost that game, they're they're done. They're going home. And so to me, Hamilton's coming into this not knowing what they're going to see from Toronto and Toronto's coming into this pretty sure of what they're going to see from Hamilton. Well, it certainly is one more 
significant coaching test uh, for Coach Dinwiddie in terms of having his team ready to play after a long break. That is uh, a skill, and that is going to be something they're definitely going to be tested on. I think that the Argos are good enough to win the game, but will they be able to switch it back on? You know, teams don't. It's, it's not uncommon for teams to come out flat, and I think that's going to be a real challenge for him. As a coach, more than X's and O's is, will the team come out electric like we did last time, or will we come out flat? And I think that's a huge question uh, for the team. I love how much leadership there is from the players on this team. I think the, the coaching staff is great. I don't see this being a scenario where uh, they're just guys on this team that aren't going to allow the Argos to come out flat. They're not going to allow the Argos not to be fired up. This team has been loose all season, going all the way back to training camp. They've had loose practices. They've, they've had uh, weeks without games because of the COVID situation in Edmonton earlier in the season. They found a way to put things together. They found a way to, to bounce back. And when anytime there's been adversity, they found a way to, to counter that pretty quickly. And so I'm not really worried about that. I guess that's not fair to say because I am a little bit. It's in the back of my head just because of, of that argument that we've heard, you know, our whole lives. But um, yeah, I think rest has been a great thing. In this case, you've got so many Argonauts that are now going to be healthy. It is going to be great to have Eric Rogers back out there just to have uh, a, a the receiving core that we haven't seen since uh, like week three of the season where, where they're all together and you kind of add what Curly Gittins Jr. is doing now to bring back Rogers, having Tavares probably go back to X. Um, and you've got Breskison healthy. He's got a few games under his belt now. Ricky Collins Jr. has been banged up all year and now he's had some a chance to really heal. Uh, you can spend some time working uh, Chandler Worthy back into the offense because he's finally had some time to actually really adjust and maybe have some things scripted for him. That's all great stuff. And so I think this is a huge advantage. I will take that every single time over playing a game every week. Well, I'm really hopeful that they come out with some some really new formations. I think that it'll be crucial to to get ha- Hamilton's feeling very confident right now. They've had a good final month. Um, they feel pretty good. You know, they 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 won a game in Montreal that my opinion, you know, against Montreal, in my opinion, that they should not have. Um, so they're going to feel good. I, I really want to see the Argos try and come out with some looks that they haven't seen to take a bit of that confidence off. You know, from a, from a defensive point of view, the, you know, new looks that are successful. Uh, really are effective psychologically. You know, it's you're like, oh, we didn't know that. We hadn't prepared for that. Uh, we weren't ready for that. What else do they have? You know, it, it slows everything down. So I, I really hope in the first quarter that, that we're able to to use that time that we had to put new looks in, to, to kind of take, uh, put a little fear into Hamilton, who will come in, feeling very confident it'd be amazing if the argos came out in like the notre dame box or something like that with with four extra linemen uh as eligibles and plan to pound the ball right down the field at them but i I don't think anything like that is is coming but uh yeah that's the thing is that you don't know when you haven't seen a team uh really have to show you anything in a month you don't know what you're going to get 
JB, it's time for your favorite segment of the show. It's OCDC. As the offensive coordinator for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, my plan is going to be all about running back Don Jackson. I think everything I want to do centers around him. So for starters, I want to run to the right. I want to run behind Van Zyl and Woodmansey and really force the the Argonauts to adjust to that. And if you get too much crashing from the other side, if you're getting um, if, if you're getting you can sort of you know turn that into into a read option with Masoli, have him pull and take off to the left if the if the line is having to compensate too hard for Jackson. But I do think that as good as Toronto's D line is, and I, I think it's one of the best in the league, I think they can be run on if Toronto is not sending additional support. So that's going to be the first part of my plan. And then I want to add in uh, late leakouts to Jackson too. He can catch out of the backfield. I, I love those plays that Hamilton runs for him. And so you know, have him in there for pass pro. And then he has sort of a late leak out, not quite like a, a screen, but similar, I guess. Um, and find different ways to get him the ball in the air as well as running to that right side. So that is my offensive coordinator plan for Hamilton. JB, you're the defensive coordinator for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. What is your plan? Well, I would not worry about the running game at all, which is quite convenient as a defensive coordinator. I'm not worried about the run game. I would, uh, Toronto doesn't really build off it. I think that we can control the run game with an ordinary box. Um, I'm looking to to duplicate what I did against Montreal. Obviously, uh, Hamilton's defensive line had a monster day and won them the game. And I think that's going to be a real challenge for the Toronto offensive line that has had, you know, good games and not so good games. And I think you're going to bring a ton of heat, a lot of loops. You're going to try and get in Macbeth's head. He 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 has had games where he was turnover prone turnovers is what beat Montreal I think you're going to be really aggressive I think you're going to you know we're you know from a Hamilton point of view I think you're going to bring tons of heat you're going to try and get turnovers you're going to try and get interceptions um get in Toronto's head uh try and really kind of turn the crowd off with with an early interception or an early turnover and and kind of get them feeling off their game. I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not worried too elaborately. I think if you, if you get to the quarterback, then everything else is fine. So I'm expecting uh blitz mania uh, from Hamilton. I think that they're going to spend the first quarter sending five, six guys on almost every down. Let's switch sides and coordinate for the good guys here, JB. I will do the Toronto offense to start. So kind of like what you were saying as the Hamilton DC, uh, I'm not even going to try to run with Foster early on. It's not that I don't think you can run on Hamilton. I do think you can. I think if Hamilton knows you're going to run, then I think the Argos are going to have trouble running. And so I'm I'm not even going to try early on. I'm going to go to the air because I do think that there is an advantage there. Now, when you do need to run, uh, I, I like the idea of running with Willette. I think that he's just a slightly different style of ball carrier. And I know I know what Hamilton did to stand back last week. But I'm telling you, that game, like JB, you alluded to this, it it wasn't what it looked like. You you have over 100 yards in penalties and five turnovers to none uh, for Montreal. Th- that game was not dominated by Hamilton the way that a lot of people, I think, left that stadium thinking it was. No, if I 
if I was a Montreal coach, I would be sick to my stomach watch, watching that game film. That game, they they just they just threw that game away. They just could not have blown a bigger chance. I think they they you know, I I can't believe it when I rewatch it. I can't believe they didn't win that game. And yes, they shut down Stanback, but. They only allowed Stanback to have 12 carries. That was the thing. Montreal was in a position so early on. Well, it wasn't really that early. I guess it was into the second quarter. But they had to go away from him. And yes, Hamilton was keying on him. But that really should have opened a lot of other stuff up for Montreal. And they just couldn't take advantage because Trevor Harris was was fumbling the ball and, and, and throwing picks. But yeah, it was it was not a game that, that Hamilton dominated. So back to my initial point on this. Uh, I do think they're going to be trying to take the run away early. So I say, let them, that's fine. We're not going to try to run early. We can run later. And so the rest of the keys to my offensive plan, they kind of count on Siante Evans being out at halfback. And I wish we had a bit more clarity on his injury. So um, he missed the game last week. He was limited in practice today. It's a quad injury, which is pretty tough for a defensive back to, to come back from. If he's out, this changes what is a pretty good Hamilton secondary, because I think the key to the Hamilton secondary is Adelike at free. And with Siante Evans out, what they have to do is they they brought Adelike around to, to field half and uh, Katzentonis was starting at, at free safety. And while I love him at, at UBC, this is not UBC. And there was a big drop off there, not just in the play at free safety. It was in the play calling. It was in how everyone else played. So like what I saw happen, I'm going off on a ton of tangents here, but um, I, I, I've got a, I've got a couple of things I really want to get to on this. So what happened is, first of all, he can be picked on in zero. You talk about blitzing. They they blitzed seven a bunch of times last week. They had cover zero. He was playing way off. And Montreal actually did have some success picking on him on on basically uh, hooks and you know stick routes and um, anything underneath. But that space is also there in cover three. When they're playing cover three, he's got this large gap. And again, it's so strange for me to see because at UBC, that's what he was known for. He would come down like a hammer. Anything in that underneath hole, he would blow up. Up. He doesn't seem to do that, or at least hasn't yet. And he wasn't doing that in the game against Montreal. There is space there in behind the backers in front of the free safety when they're playing three. The other thing it's led to is it's affected the play calling. They they ran a lot of rolling coverage to get a delicate back to free to sort of um, to patch that hole up. And so to me, it seems like this is a first and 10 midfield sort of play call. I might actually try and bank on that sometimes. So you get the ball near midfield, first and 10, start looking, start anticipating for rolling coverage. Call smoke routes to, to Gittins Jr. Uh, call quick slants to Rogers to try and take advantage of that motion of a delicate coming across the field and take advantage of those sort of quick hitters into that open space that's left by the vacating players as they all roll in coverage. What I love is give me, give me worthy, give me, give me, you know, Gittins, give me those guys on low crossers, not, not hook. Like I prefer that to hooks, you know, like, you know, slants. Yeah. Low crosses. Yeah. Give the, give the guy a chance to run with the ball. You know, those hot read, you know, hooks, man, you're just going to get guys killed because they're just looking you know what I mean? It's like a dump off. Here comes the blitz. And the guy catches it and then thump, he gets hit at 100 miles an hour. Like, give those guys a chance to just go. You know, they're going to bring heat. Fine, dump it over top of the defensive line. 
and let you know let Gittins or Worthy take it for forty yards. Um, you know, I think that's absolutely crucial for slowing down the pass rush. You you can't just hope that the offensive line can control those guys because look, they can ruin a game. Like I'm sure Harris still is jumpy at home, thinking that there are defensive linemen in his bathroom. Um, you know. <laughs> They can ruin a game. They ruined Montreal's game. Like Montreal just was like it was just over. So they they absolutely that that has to be priority one. How are we going to scheme slowing down this pass rush? Because the line can do it, but it can't do it all game. And the last thing I want to get to is part of my OCDC is I really think you have to go heavily at Daniels and Rodgers because I, I know that Desmond Lawrence and Carol Brooks have been great all year. They're not the same in coverage when Adelike is not there at free safety. There's not the same confidence. They're not taking the same risks. They're not being as aggressive, especially Carol Brooks, who I know has been like an interception machine all season. He doesn't look like that when Adelike is not back there at free. And so I think you've got an advantage there in Rodgers and Daniels. So a lot of teams have avoided that side of the field in the last few weeks because they, they were getting picked off. Desmond Lawrence playing pretty well at, at boundary corner all year and Carol Brooks with all those interceptions. But yeah, like I said, it's not the same um, if they've got to shift everyone over because of Siante Evans being out. So yeah, I'll go repeatedly to that side of the field too. I hope offensively too. I think that one of the things to not get away the run for, even if the run is not working, and it's a little harder in Canadian football for sure, but it is worth, you know, pounding the rock, you know, getting one, you know, getting Olette and pounding those defensive linemen and forcing Davis to play the run. You know, force him to play the run over and over again um, in terms of not just giving up on it because you want him worn down. You don't want him feeling fresh in the second half. Even if the first half ends up being not great, it's, it's worth it if he has to make, you know, eight, nine, ten tackles. Um, it, it's going to slow him down. It'll slow down his pass rush if he's constantly making run tackles. All right, JB, we'll turn it over to you to wrap up the OCDC segment. What is your defensive plan is, as the defensive coordinator for the Toronto Argonauts? Uh, defensively, Hamilton did not impress in the Montreal game. Now, I don't know how much of that was weather, um, but it was a very vanilla game plan. Uh, um, you know, uh, not as much running as I thought they would. Um, the running back out of the backfield is an issue. They, you know, they like Banks. Um, they like banks on deep outs. They like banks on the field side out. Um, they like the throw to the right, just like somebody who's now in Edmonton. Um, you know, I, I think defensively, I'm not worried about about blitzing. Um, I think defensively, we can just line up and play ball. I think defensively, we want to make sure that we're on Jackson coming out of the backfield. And I want to be sitting on those field outs. Uh, that Mazzoli throws because if he throws one of those man that should be a pick six all day they come out and then you know they come out in quads and uh, Banks is the outside receiver you know go get it Um, so I think in the secondary I want to be aggressive defensive line linebacker I just say line up and play ball I I wouldn't get myself out of position I don't think they need to Um, you know if you play your lanes and you keep Mazzoli from getting cheap yards 
that's enough. I'm, I'm not. I mean, if if they run, so be it. I, I don't think it's going to be enough to win the game. Uh, I think I think turnovers are going to be the battle, and I think the secondary should be super aggressive um, in terms of setting up for for jumping underneath routes, um, for jumping uh, the running back coming out of that backfield. You know, be looking for it. Don't be surprised by it. Give them a look they weren't expecting where, you know, he's coming out of the backfield and you're just sitting on it. So I, I hope from a secondary point of view, um, they're going to be they're going to be ball hawking and you know through the occasional blitz, but I I just don't I don't see it being an issue. I, I like I think Mazzoli's not a guy that you can get in his head. I just don't think he's great. I think he's fine. He he's not somebody that we have to blitz. So I'm I'm really hopeful that uh, that the game plan is conservative up front and aggressive on the backfield. I'll start things off with one thing. My one thing, which I've used a couple of times before, but I don't think it's ever been more important. No turnovers. There's got to be no turnovers for the Toronto Argonauts. It's the entire reason that Hamilton won last week against Montreal. You look at, you, you talked about some of these, these stats. Like Jeremiah Masoli last week, 184 yards passing, and their leading rusher had 46 yards. They, they had, what, 56 yards rushing for the game and 180. 84 yards passing like that's what Hamilton did to win the East semifinal and the reason they won the game and and they won it pretty easily was entirely on turnovers and and Montreal not being disciplined and and creating penalties and so um, that's that's going to be my big key for this week Uh, don't turn the ball over because you know you talked about like Brandon Banks being being there last week we haven't really seen him much all year even his stuff they they got kind of lucky with it they caught Montreal in zero a couple times where they had a deep crossing routes and they were able to pick up the blitzer and and Banks got free he had made another guy miss down the sideline like that's those two plays were, were where he got most of his 58 yards from I'm really not that worried in an even matchup with no turnovers no penalties I think Toronto wins this one every time yeah, I, and even interceptions, you know, there are varying degrees, you know. Like, if you get in, you know, I think you have to be highly conscious of short fields. You know, you can't fumble the ball. You can't, you know, if, if you get an interception at midfield, okay, I think we can live to fight another day. You can't fumble the ball and give Hamilton a 20-yard field because uh, that's what they needed to score against Montreal. So I think that... You can get more aggressive as you get out of your own zone. I think that's the crucial aspect is you just cannot give Hamilton a short field because I don't think they can go down the field. I think they need that. And, uh, you know, I think you're exactly right is, uh, you know, for, for the turnovers, you just have to you have to keep that under control, certainly under two. What's your one thing this week? Hmm. Uh, I think my one thing is I really would like to see um, Toronto put up 10 in the first quarter. I think if we put up 10 in the first quarter, then we are, we're ready to roll. Um, You know, I think that as a team, we're a team that plays on schedule. You know, we don't, we don't have stars. We tend not to be spurty. Uh, You know, I think that if we come out and we play on schedule and we put up 10 points, uh, I, I feel very confident that, that we will win the game. Yeah, I agree with that. And in games where Toronto has got out to an early lead this year, they've been able to cruise and, and sort of hang on to that. It's gone very well for them. They, I don't think they've lost 
I don't think they've lost a game this year when they've put up 10 points in the first quarter. So that, um, yeah, that that would bode very well for them. So no turnovers, put up 10 in the first quarter, and we are sailing. What's your prediction for this one, JB? Uh, I, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously we're, we're a little biased, but I like Toronto. I think the games have been very close this year between Toronto and Hamilton. Um the two blowouts aside, the two middle games were very close. Um, but I think Toronto is the better team. I think offensively we have better wide receivers. Uh, I think that we have um, a better uh, secondary. If we can control Davis and not let Davis destroy the game, um, and if we can not give Hamilton short fields, I think we win uh, comfortably. So I'm going to go 28-21 Toronto. Yeah, that's that's pretty close to, well, I guess it's not that close to my prediction, similar. But I also have a Toronto win. And like you, I'm just looking at positional groups. And I, I think maybe you can give Hamilton an edge in, in linebacker because of Simone Lawrence. It's probably a push on the defensive line uh, pretty much everywhere else. Maybe it's a push on the offensive line too. But yeah, I, I like Toronto pretty much everywhere else and and special teams which has been so crucial down the stretch having Boris Beatty uh, it's been magic uh, since October and so hopefully that magic can continue I've got Toronto 22 Hamilton 18 I I know that's a four-point difference but I don't even really feel like this is going to be a nail-biter four-point win I think it's close at the end I'm not sure we're sitting on the edges of our seats though at the end of this one let's hope we're let's hope we're both right Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.